I I really wrestled with this episode and really wrestled with what I wanted to talk to you guys about because I think there's a crowd listening to this who's like, if I had to be transparent, I have maybe tended to obsess with my future spouse. And then there's another portion, the other half of the crowd, honestly, JJ, like those people who are obsessed about their future spouse, I don't get it. If I had to list out all the scriptures that we have about dating specifically, here they are. There's none. <laughs> What's up, fam? It's your boy, JJ. We got another mini man so Friday. We don't have very many of these left until the new year. So thank you guys for riding with us. Uh, as far as updates and what I'm loving and everything you guys need to know, I would just say, hey, I'm going to start doing more guest interviews in 2024. I'm super pumped. I know you guys are pumped. You're like, I'm tired of just hearing this guy solo talking and yapping. Hey, I am too, okay? I am too, so I'm with you guys. Now I'm just playing, but hey, I would love to know who would you guys like to see come on? You know, these are mansodes. Who do you think from a female and male perspective, it would be really, really awesome on to bring. And I'm gonna ask anybody and everybody, like no one's off limits for me. Uh, personally, I just, I love people who are engaging, who are challenging, who are smart. Um, they don't have to perfectly agree with me. We can have a little bit more of, you know, embrace debate. As Christians, I hope and pray at our best, we can take someone with a completely opposite point of view and treat them with so much grace and kindness that even though we do not agree at all, they can at least agree and respect how we are treating them as a human being in that sense. And so I would love to know who you guys would love to see. As far as what I'm loving in personal life, I would just say this, hey, 2024 is on the horizon. Don't wait to start building these great habits, all these changes. It's so mainstream to just think of the what you want to change and vision uh, on January 1st and 2nd as you go into the new year, right? I would just say, hey, get a head start. Like, for example, if you want to start building a healthy habit about working out, well, start that habit today because that zero to a six-day, 6 a.m. grind, I'm sorry, but it just doesn't happen overnight. But if you started this week waking up an hour earlier, working out twice a week, and just wearing your gym clothes, I'm not sure if you guys have read Atomic Habits, but the one thing that they just say is, hey, 1% better every day. If you want a new new routine or new habit, start small. And I think we can all think about those times in our life where we had major course correction. We tried to do a major change, major habit, really, really commit to going to the gym and we make it about six days and then it's gone, okay? Like don't go all or nothing from that sense. Like start at one time a week and then the next week I make it two. And then the next week, make it two and a half. Then the next week, three. Like you are going to be so much more effective in building that habit in your life, that long-term habit, than you would from any major course correction. So that's my wisdom. Oh, and my last piece, creatine. My only regret with creatine as far as a supplement is not taking it sooner. 
I've loved the effects of creatine on my body. This is not a paid ad, especially if you're a guy here and you really want to unlock some gains. Maybe you've been plateaued. Maybe you're new to weightlifting. Creatine is the stuff. Okay. Um, so finally, let's jump into this episode. I love you guys. I hope you really enjoy this episode on preparing for your future spouse versus obsession with your future spouse. And it's such a good question. As we jump into the episode today, I I really wrestled with this episode and really wrestled with what I wanted to talk to you guys about because I think there's a crowd listening to this who's like, if I had to be transparent and I admit it, I have maybe tended to obsess with my future spouse. And I really need to know confirmation. What are the signs I've been doing that? How does that look in day-to-day life? And then there's another portion, the other half of the crowd, which is honestly, JJ, like those people are obsessed about their future spouse. I don't get it. Like I'm single. I love my life. I have a lot of road in front of me. I have a lot of life to live. I don't have to start thinking about a spouse really till about five or 10 years from now. Uh, you typically find that maybe a younger uh, age, you know, if you're 22, it really feels like you have your life ahead of you. And if you're 40 and single, you really could feel like the best days are behind you and you've kind of missed the window. So how do we talk to both of those attitudes and perspectives? Because transparently, when I was 25 years old, uh, I knew that the idea of marriage and the quote call of marriage was something I was interested in, but I wasn't really preparing for it. If I had to be honest, I was more concerned with... Um, kingdom. I was more focused on career and I was more focused on just really living my life in front of me. And part of that, if I was being more honest with you guys, was maximizing fun. I, If you told me I could go to um, <laughs> therapy or counseling or you know, some kind of workshop for singleness and you know who I am on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock, or I could go golfing for two hours, I chose golfing. A majority of the time, I was more concerned with having fun than I was for preparing for my future spouse and marriage. Like, that's just how I operated. And, you know, I just, I my heart is for men and women who are there. Uh, because if you do want to get married, like, you're kind of talking about a lifetime com- commitment. Like, if you were talking about a lifetime career that you really want to succeed in and grow in and value... We go to four-year, eight-year, 10-year colleges. We do undergrads, masters, PhD. Like we do a lot of work to to prepare for these really, really meaningful positions and careers. Why don't we do the same thing for marriage, (laughs) right? And then there's the other side of the coin flip, which is obsessing, right? Sometimes we're so oriented and focused that it's the only thing that matters and it consumes us and it destroys us. And so I would just ask before we jump in, which one are you? Which one are you? And uh, we don't do this very often, but I would just say the scriptural foundation, since this is a two-part episode, we get the allowance to really dive into scripture and have an amazing story of, of what it looks like to be obsessed. You know, I will always remember I was one of five kids and I was number four and I love my siblings, my three older siblings, but if I was being honest, they made some really dumb decisions. They made decisions that 13-year-old teenagers make and should make and do make that were mistakes. 
And my personality, and this is very, very common in younger siblings, is they see a lot of mistakes and they just say, that didn't look like it went too well. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and that was a lot of my experience growing up. I saw a lot of what not to do, and it just never really interests me to find out the consequences for bad decisions. And so for all my older siblings listening, thank you guys for paving the way and all the younger siblings who listened and watch, good job. Now, what people don't realize is we have tons of stories in the Bible of what not to do. And when it comes to dating, and we like to harp on this, uh, when it comes to dating in the Bible, uh, if I had to list out all the scriptures that we have about dating specifically, here they are. There's none. <laughs> there is zero. Nada. And so that leaves us with this huge aspect of our life that we don't have scripture to directly speak into. However, the second we just say indirectly, if there's love and romance in the Bible, specifically great situations and really poor decisions and bad situations, well, I would say there's a perfect one that I feel like is not really talked about. Um, you know, I can't really remember when people talk about Jacob marrying Leah and Rachel, and that's where we're going to be today, Genesis 29. I personally, in my experience, can't really recall tons of sermons, tons of theses, tons of articles of saying, hey, this is a really bad way to do it. And I don't want to form or shape the way that you think about this, but as I tell this story and read it here in a moment, I would just say that this is riddled with lessons and learnings of what not to do for men and women, for romantically dating, pursuing, and choosing your partner. And then there's some really awesome lessons of how it is, you know, an unwavering commitment to the object of your heart. Um, and more to come on that. So let's just jump in and I'll let you guys decide for yourself because maybe you haven't read or listened to this story in a while. And for any of those people who think that the Bible is boring, I think sometimes we don't really understand or realize like it is filled with phenomenal stories that you can never even make up in your own mind. It is better than any fiction I could ever conjure up. So we're in Genesis 29, and here we go. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. So mysterious. Uh, but he knew he was looking for his uncle, by the way. As he looked, he saw it a well out in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. Love the symbolism. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. Again, does that sound pretty familiar to us? Um, the stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and then put the stone back in its place over the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, Yes, we know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And we see Rachel, his daughter, is coming. She is a shepherdess, bringing in the livestock and they said, we cannot go until all the flocks are watered together and the stone is rolled. So when he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with his father's sheep, uh, for she was a shepherdess. Very interesting. Now, as soon, listen to this. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, 
his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's cousin and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Okay, like we're not even halfway through. I think that's a quarter of the way through. I think rolling the rock (laughs) and watering the flock, like that was like the present day version of like, let me (laughs) move these hundred chairs after community group. Let me do all these tasks and chores. And then think about the idea of kissing and weeping aloud as soon as he did that. So as soon as Laban heard the news, he ran to meet Jacob and ran and brought him to his house. Uh, And Laban said to him after talking to him, uh, surely you are my bone and flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. And then basically he said, your family, why are you serving me for nothing? Uh, working for me. What are your wages? And Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in figure and appearance. Now, Hebrew and biblical scholars uh, talk about this a lot. And when it says Leah's eyes were weak, uh, really what they're saying is two things. One, I think this is the Bible's way of saying she was she was not attractive. She was not beautiful like her sister. And two, um, it could have been a deformity. She could have been blind in an eye. She could have had a lazy eye. She could have had de- physical deformities with her eye. But on the other part, here's Rachel. And then it says, and Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. So stay with me, work for me, let's do it. Which by the way, so this was very normal in their culture. Seven years in that upfront offer was four times the amount, roughly four times the amount of a normal price to pay. Jacob led with saying, I will pay four times as much for me to take Rachel. That's how much I'm obsessed with her. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. See, that's the part we've all heard about, right? Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to Jacob but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said, of course, seven years are up. Listen to this. You want to talk about an entitled attitude. Give me my wife so that I may go into her for my time is completed. Could you imagine saying that to your future father-in-law at the time at the wedding day? (laughs) Could you imagine saying that to your wife, your fiance, your beautiful fiance sitting right there? Give her to me so that I may consummate this marriage for my time is completed. It doesn't get more horny than that, or entitled for that matter. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made the feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter and Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in with her. Laban gave his female servant to the daughter, not important. And in the morning, behold, Jacob woke up, and guess what? It was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, 
what is it that you have done that I not serve you well? Why did you deceive me? And he said, culturally, it's not okay for me to give you the younger before the firstborn. And so he said, complete this one. Give me another seven years and Rachel will be yours. And Jacob did it. He completed the week. He completed the marriage. And then he worked seven more years and Rachel was his wife. And what soon comes after that is one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible about God seeing Leah, God blessing Leah, and Leah not seeking God, but seeking Jacob in his love and affection and was completely ignored, completely abandoned, and completely forgotten. So that's our foundation for today. Um, if... That is not one of the craziest stories of person choosing their spouse based off nothing except one thing, how they look in a series of horrible decisions made out of nothing but infatuation. I don't know what is. Um, I think we could spend a lot of time uh, talking about each part of this, uh, but nothing comes close to the fact that it is a sad, sad story that, by the way, God still used. God still, people don't understand the craziness of what unfolded because of these decisions, which is the 12 sons of Jacob, Joseph, and the bloodline of Jesus all folding down um, from these decisions that were made. So as we just stop and pause, and I think about, I'll borrow this from Terry Cobble, shout out to the LC and the Bible recap. As I think about a God shot before I jump in, I just think about the fact that God used this sad situation of horrible decisions of neglect, abandonment, and obsession and infatuation, and still found a way to weave his plan into the fabric of his story and his timeline for humanity. And we think about the decisions that go well or not well with God in mind or not, and God still uses them. Think about that for a second. God still uses your faithful decisions and your unfaithful decisions. So no matter what is going around you right now, just I want you to always keep that in mind. Now, as we talk about preparing for a future spouse and obsessing with the future spouse, I think in a lot of ways, this is an amazing story of obsession. Uh, we throw around the word infatuation a lot. I don't think I've ever quite said this out loud on Heart of Dating, uh, but as Kate and I talk and we really look at our story, I'm super thankful because I would say to a large capacity with Kate, there was ignition for Kate and there's also infatuation with Kate. I was very grandiose. I was very over the top and I spent a little bit too much time and money on Kate in the beginning that I don't regret, but I think it was a lot. Um, and I could have gotten the same thing uh, in a much more appropriate way with Kate uh, by maybe instead of sending her $130 flowers, sending her $13 flowers, okay? <laughs> that is kind of what I mean. Um, but I don't regret the emotional intention uh, and the emotional... Um, just desire to really get to know her and be my best for her. Um, and so that being said, when it comes to this idea of preparing versus obsessing, like we have to break it down into a few ways. You know, I think for those who are not thinking about their spouse at all, 
you are not preparing for them at all. And I think for those who are fantasizing about their spouse, well, guess what? You are now obsessing over that spouse. So thinking about them equals preparation and fantasizing about them equals obsession. That's point number one. Thinking about them equals preparation. Fantasizing about them equals obsession. Because I just want to drift into this. When you when you think about something, you are now officially leaving reality to a degree. You are entering into your mind's eye, your imagination. And, you know, but when you're thinking through reality and your current situation, you, you don't necessarily leave reality, right? You understand where you are. You have a great sense of who you are. Uh, you have reality. I think that the best thing to keep us rooted into reality of what's around you, where you are, who you are, is gratitude. For me, gratitude are the roots of a massive oak tree that keep me grounded into what exactly I have in front of me right now. And if you think about one thing, uh, which is fantasizing, we all do it and we actually escape into it. Um, it produces a high, it produces serotonin, it produces endorphins. Fantasizing is a, is and can be an amazing drug, whether we know it or not. Uh, but I think the, the most criminal thing about fantasizing is this. I want you to just take a moment and dream about your dream house. Really think about how it might look for a second, where it is. Is it in the mountains, in the beach? Is it in a pasture? Is it in the forest? I want you to think about your dream car. This is a great one. Think about your dream car. Give Just give yourself a moment to think about your dream car. For me, it's a blacked out Range Rover. Uh, not one of like the smaller new Range Rovers, but a, a classic Range Rover, blacked out rims, tinted windows. I get inside, it's, it's beautiful. And I'm not even a car guy. But if you had to make me tell you and dream about my dream car and I go there for a second, I just think they are sick. They're so cool. Okay, you have that idea of your dream car, your dream house. Now, if you do have a car right now, I want you to think about the car you drive. Now that you've been dreaming and you come back to reality of what you actually have in front of you, how does it make you feel looking at it? Are you especially grateful for it? Are you super grateful and humble and love that it just simply works? Are you as excited about it as you were when you bought it? Now that I, I look at my 2013 Toyota Prius, which I do love, how does that look side by side compared to that blacked out Range Rover? It doesn't look very good. And I'm also not very grateful for it. I don't really love it. I'm not really content with it. Uh, I can't really get out this uh, this idea, this picture of the blacked out Range Rover. You think about those roots of gratitude. They're gone. They're gone. I, I've officially lost all appreciation, gratitude for what I have been given, for the amazing gift of that hybrid engine, the alloy rims, the, the cool, nice leather I have. Anything that I appreciate about it and, and enjoyed out of my car is gone. And you see, fantasizing, the moment it eclipses gratefulness and gratitude, you've left the station. 
you are now officially obsessed and nothing is ever going to compare to that object and idol that you have dreamed up on your own accord. No, nothing in your present reality or coming reality will compare to what you have dreamed up in your imagination. It's for this very reason that people say the famous quote, never meet your heroes. Never meet your heroes because they will always let you down. Well, did they let you down or did your imagination and fantasy of them dream up a role and expectation that they can never fulfill? So when it comes to fantasizing about your spouse or obsessing about them, we actually do the same thing in our mind. We fantasize and obsess for whatever reason about this amazingness that they will actually never live up to. And then we have to cope with the reality of that when we actually do get the opportunity of marrying them. But thinking about them is different. And some of you guys need to think about this. When you are talking about a commitment of a lifetime, a role as a husband, a role as a father, a role of enormous responsibility, how can you prepare for something that you're not even thinking about or know about, right? So this means, yes, like your study of marriage, start as a single. Your preparation as a, being a great husband started as a single. You started like start being an amazing listener. Start practicing the skill of empathy. Start like find ways to prepare for marriage. And I promise you, <laughs> the church has no shortage of content and lessons about marriage. Listen to them. Listen, li like listen to teachings about marriage and you will know exactly what to prepare for. I, I cannot think of a better gift to my single self than, hey, if you want to get married, then just prepare today. Like why wait for marriage to prepare to have a great marriage? And so that's why thinking about them and preparing for them is a wonderful thing. Like I really don't think uh, for a portion of the population who envisions and sees themselves getting married, there is enough serious emphasis placed on preparing for this thing ahead of them. Like it's a lot of talk about choosing, which is great. This is why Heart of Dating exists. But a lot of our time should be to be devoted to preparing. Um, so that's point number one on thinking versus fantasizing. And I just, I just can't emphasize enough to wrap that up when you fantasize and obsess and you leave reality the the thing that suffers the most is you and your singleness your singleness and your purpose your calling the amazing amazing opportunity you have in front of you just like my prius it doesn't look very appealing anymore it doesn't sound very satisfying anymore i'm not very grateful for it anymore right now that i've dreamed up this amazing life that lays in front of me, that's being withheld from me, my current reality is not very enticing. I'm not very grateful for it. I'm not very happy. I'm not very joyful, right? We do the same thing. Anytime we start fantasizing, we have left gratefulness behind and we lose grip of what God has really given us. And it is a gift. I hear a lot of back and forth on this idea. It is a gift. Uh, and guess what? It's undeserved. It's undeserved. It's an undeserved gift. Your, your gift of singleness, your temporary celibacy, guess what? It is a gift that you do not earn, 
that you do not deserve. In the same sense, your gift of marriage for those rare people still listening to this as a married or the people that we get to talk to, it's the same thing. Guess what? You did nothing, nothing to deserve your spouse. You did nothing to earn their love or earn that marriage. It is a undeserved gift. And if both of them are undeserved gifts, that means there's nothing that you could do to earn marriage. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You you can do nothing to earn marriage. Unlike Jacob, you don't have to work for seven years and seven years more for that spouse. If you did, I actually think we'd have a lot of people out here working because <laughs> I said, that sounds much easier and much better than the process I'm having to go through right now. I, I understand, but it doesn't work like that, okay? So number two on preparing or obsessing for marriage, you evaluate every single person of the opposite sex through a narrow and romantic lens instead of a friendly one, instead of an equal lens. And if you can't turn, like you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You walk into a gathering and your mind can't help but drift and say, I wonder who the single people are. And as you meet someone, your eyes are going to one place, that left middle finger. I don't even know your, the ring finger. I think that's actually what it's called. Your eyes are going to the ring finger. And you know, if the first thing that comes to mind when you meet someone is whether or not they're single and whether or not they could be a spouse or someone that you could date or not, you are obsessed with marriage. You're obsessed with your future spouse. And how do I know this? I'm talking to you guys from personal experience. At my my worst seasons of singleness, and what's most sad about that is at my worst times in singleness was every girl I met, her value, or rather my interest in them, was dictated by what she had to offer me. And so I can't shame you. I'm with you. Like if you've encountered this, I'm with you. And the and the cost of it is this, as I look back, it cost me great friendships. It cost me great opportunities to get curious and get to know someone, which also simultaneously turned off my <laughs> evaluation lens to even if they were a good spouse or not. What, what did Jacob do the second he saw Rachel, before he had an ounce of data about her character or knew who she was or how she operated, he committed to her. He committed to her. He was infatuated. He was so obsessed with her that guess what? He overlooked everything in the evaluation process. You know, the worst thing we can do as a single is filter everyone through this binary lens on whether or not they're attractive enough and we could date them. And if you're preparing for marriage, obviously you have to have an idea of whether or not someone's single before you could entertain the thought of dating them. But if that is something that you can't turn off, meaning when you go into a venue, you go in a small group, if your top priority isn't just simply getting to know people, valuing them, getting curious and building friendship, then then you are obsessed with your spouse or the idea of them, right? And I just think as Christians, it's amazing that you guys are preparing and wanting to choose well, but we're not on earth to choose a spouse. Your marriage and your future spouse is a fraction, a second, a piece of dust in the eternal timeline. We have something much more important at stake and it's not choosing your spouse. 
It's loving people well, so well that they know that Jesus is real, that he exists in your life, and that Jesus wants to know them. That is your purpose, right? Not to find your spouse. And so that is what I would just say, you know, preparing for your spouse when it comes to meeting people, I think eventually you have to gather that data on whether or not they're single. But I would just say your policy with every person you meet, the CEO to the janitor, is to build friendship, is to build friendship, to build relationship so that you can accomplish one goal, right? And then if they happen to be single, as you get to know them and time comes and they happen to be the opposite sex, that's an idea that you can entertain. But even then, you're dangerously, right, flirting with fantasizing as you start to think and dream about that other person. So I'm going to go ahead and pause right there Um, next week's episode is going to be a part two version. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give you guys a teaser. Um, if you guys are obsessed with your future spouse, these are three things to watch out for. There are certain things that you're waiting to do with them. If you're obsessed with your future spouse, there's actually, there's certain things, important things that are not sex that you're waiting to do with a spouse. Okay. Again, besides sex, there's things in your mission, your vocation, your career, there's personal healing and growth that you're leaving on the table. Number two, uh, you're obsessed with your spouse if that need, that desire is dictated out of a wounding. If it's dictated out of a wounding, it is an obsession. It's a desire for completeness, which we actually see in the story of Jacob, which we'll talk about. And then lastly, spoiler alert, I love this one and we'll close on it is if you are obsessed with your future spouse, if I told you that you were not getting it, you would be destroyed. If I told you that you were not going to get your future spouse and it was off the table, you would be overtly destroyed. It would be life shattering and ending information. And I think this is an idea. uh, What we'll talk about is celibacy temporary celibacy, lifetime celibacy, eternal celibacy, uh, and that viewpoint. Um, and it's not an easy one to talk about. So I love you guys. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode today. Uh, go ahead and just read Genesis 29 on your own time and just think and look at the warning signs throughout the entire story. Um, I personally just can't read it without feeling especially sad for Leah, who even names her children, child after child after child, to win her husband's attention and favor and love and still finds it nowhere to be seen. Okay, I love you guys. Have a wonderful weekend and I will see you later.